The antidote. The antidote. The antidote. The antidote. The antidote. The antidote. You're listening to The Antidote with Dave Hawkins. Hey there, this is Dennis with Five Iron Frenzy, and congratulations to The Antidote for 100 episodes. So what are we doing? Gentlemen, we are about to embark on the most amazing, life-affirming, financially wind-falling experiences of our young lives. Wow! We are going to start a Christian rock band. Uh. I'm out. Wait! Walk out that door token and you'll regret it the rest of your life. Christians have a built-in audience of over 180 million Americans. If each one of them bought just one of our albums at $12.95, that would be... $2,331,000,000. Still want to leave, token? I'm Dave Hawkins and welcome to the 100th episode of The Antidote. Now, the characters from South Park had some fun trying to put a Christian rock band together, even if they had a pretty distorted perspective as to what this music is really about. Well, thanks for tuning in early for a two-hour retrospective of The Antidote. I've always enjoyed an eclectic range of music, and that's exactly what you're going to be hearing on tonight's episode. We're going to be looking back at a wide range of artists who have appeared on The Antidote, and their views on both their own music and the nature of music in general. And, of course, all from a Christian worldview. Now, some of these topics are serious, and others are simply fun. And here comes a really funny story, heard on episode 48 from Jake Lures of August Burns Red. And then we're going to fall into their song, Fault Line. You guys have had a lot of time touring on the road, and probably with good and bad experiences, but right now, you've got to tell us the horror story from the road. What's the worst experience you ever had? Okay, this is going to be it, for sure. Um, we were on tour with Under Oath. I'm driving. This is when we were, we were in a van and trailer. Everybody's sleeping, and I'm driving, and Matt's driving. I think we're leaving Florida, and we're driving back to Pennsylvania. And it's like maybe 5.30 in the morning, and... I'm driving and I look in the rearview mirror and I see flames spitting out of the side of the trailer between the wheels. And I go, oh gosh. <laughs> I was like, Matt, our, our trailer's on fire. And he's like, what? I was like, yeah, man, our trailer's on fire. He's like, pull over, pull over. And so we pull over and we get out real quick and we run and this thing's just on fire. Just the bottom, it's just spewing flames. So we're picking up rocks and dirt and we're shoveling this stuff we didn't have any water however gross side note but is part of the story you know when you're driving overnight from florida to pennsylvania you're just going you know what i mean you don't do a lot of stopping you stop kick ass and then you go to sleep and you get some food you go to sleep and we do shifts you know sometimes when you gotta pee and you're a male you can do it in a bottle well we only have males on our tour so what i had wasn't water but i had six bottles of urine so matt and i are unleashing these bottles of urine on the flames on the tires and the axle to put it out and we finally put this thing out and then we get a tow truck and he drives us to the um, hotel and we drop the trailer off and it takes about a day and we started heading back we hit this massive snowstorm and we spent a night on the highway just in traffic i mean moving literally maybe a foot an hour like nothing absolutely nothing everyone's just is chaos and uh, so we ended up just staying in this van and trailer for like, I think it took us three days to get home. Um, one full night on the highway, just stuck in traffic. The second night, we um, we couldn't get any further, so we had to stop at a hotel and we just stayed there. And then the third night at around 4 a.m., I think, or something, we, we finally got home. It was a disaster.
For episode 59, I met with two classic metal artists, Dan McCabe of Daniel Band and Rex Scott of X Center for a roundtable discussion about old school metal in comparison to modern day hardcore. Here's the result. Back in 86, that was Bethel from Daniel Ban, and now listen in to Rex Scott and Dan McCabe. So when are you guys going to add Screamo to uh, your metal? <laughs> you go, Dan. <laughs> screams really I mean, well. Yeah, we do a lot. Of, we still do a lot of screaming. Um, but uh, my daughter is, uh, well, she's 24, and um, you know you know how kids always like to give some shock value you know, to the parents and that kind of stuff, right? And, and so she played me this stuff of, some, of a Screamo band. And, uh, and she goes, what do you think? What do you think? I said, I don't know. He just sounds kind of angry to me. I don't know what. 
<laughs> but I wasn't, I wasn't going to give in. I go, but you know, I kind of like it. There's something about it that's appealing, you know, kind of just let the air right out of her tires on that one, you know. <laughs> well, I know your drummer had becoming the archetype shirt on and it's like, yeah, that that's pretty heavy. <laughs> yeah, that that's heavy as it gets. There's no doubt about it. No, no matter what the age, you know, everyone's trying to find their space and a lot of times it's not the same. They don't want to be in the same spot just automatically of where mom, dad, or, you know, anyone before them was, you know, and they're trying to find their own way. And if this helps them to do that and put a stamp on it, uh, as long as it's leading them in the right direction, that's all fine by me. Uh, you know, I, I got to add to that. I think this is something that you and I, Rex, I think you and I are experiencing. It has never happened in the history of music before that our kids are listening to music that is not as hard as what we play which is a real reversal. I mean, it usually will progress through the generations. Our kids are listening to music that's a lot softer than what we're doing. Yeah. Guys, what are you doing? You're, like, you're wimped out. What's going on, man? <laughs> it's true. The modern-day song, Undying, comes from Demon Hunter. We're going to bring this up into the modern age. And here's a conversation that The Antidote had with Demon Hunter's Ryan Clark. Musicians and bands are referred to as artists, but... Ryan, you take that up another notch by also having your own graphic art company. How does the art of music mesh with the visual arts? Well, the aesthetic of the band has always been super important. Um, and my involvement with the visual side of things for the band and for other bands has been a, a really important part of, I think, our success and our um, fan base over the years. Um, I think that even people that aren't, maybe aren't artists themselves, I think you still realize um, when a band kind of has, when they're kind of artistic in every angle and every avenue. When a band that I like isn't just great musically, but everything else that they have to offer, whether it's merchandise or music videos or photo shoot or album packaging or special packaging or, you know, live show, uh, what they wear on stage, what, you know, all that kind of stuff, every little aspect down to the <clears throat> smallest detail of it, uh, the aesthetic, when that's all feels quality and feels like it was thought out, it makes that whole, the whole package, um, it, it just feels better feels more quality feels like there was more thought put into it and i've always liked that about certain bands there's certain bands that just have it dialed and those are the ones that i kind of gravitate to more i feel like we give our fans a lot outside of the music we give them a lot to kind of digest um and so if we're not going to be out on the road all the time the least we can do is offer cool merchandise or make more music videos than most bands or even be in the studio more than most bands so we try and kind of fill in the gaps of not touring with you know at least giving something of, of the band but my kind of visual mind and my music mind are one and the same and melded i'm always thinking visually even when i'm writing songs i'm thinking about them visually i'm I'm thinking about album artwork for records that are, you know, two, three records down the road. Um, the wheels are always turning, you know, about how something's going to look, how I'm going to design something or what the photo shoot's going to look like or whatever for a record. So it's all those wheels are kind of moving in unison while I'm writing or while we're in the studio or whatever it is. So it's, I think it helps just make everything feel like a, a more cohesive unit. I was made up in the sorry nigger 
Last February, Joey B. and Chrissy Jeter joined the antidote for a chat about the music of the Echoing Green, but they brought along a really young guest. Listen in. 
What about the future of the Aquin Green? Are you going to aim for a 25th anniversary or are you? <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, well, something we recently did, which was a lot of fun, was um, we did an acoustic set. And uh, we were asked to play a couple different times in a setting that wasn't we weren't really used to, and so. Aww. Oh my gosh. Dude. Joey, you talked about not having a screamer for the band. Yeah, we, yeah, we might him. have this him. Could we be it. him. We might have him. Chrissy and I are about sixty percent done on um, one B-side kind of track, so we have this EP that's kind of ready to roll. So, uh, so that's called. Um, uh, what's it called again? It has a really cool name. What did we call it? I don't remember. Something about thieves. Good lord. <laughs> How many years? 25 years? Here's why it's tricky to remember. Years. Here's Yeah, we can't ever remember anything. I can't ever remember lyrics on stage. I can't remember anything. But um, Recanted Thieves is the name of okay. the EP we're about to put out. And the reason it's hard to remember is because all the letters of those two words, Recanted Thieves, um, it's an anagram for in scarlet and vile. And uh, obviously, you know, family things come up, life things come up. So um, Chrissy uh, uh, was busy whipping out a kid. <laughs> Golden 
track was the Echoing Green's cover of Fold's and Dura's King Planet. The antidote was also visited by the Ultimate Christian Party Band, and they were featured on episodes 76 and 77 as we spoke with Chapstick of Family Force 5. One reason I've always enjoyed Family Force 5 is that you've never hesitated in switching around your musical style. I mean, business up front, party in the back had your signature crunk rock sound. Then you gave an electronic club edge to Dance or Die. And on three, you had a really wide mix of styles, even dropped into some reggae and Spanish influences. But have you ever been afraid of alienating your fans? Uh, You know, I'd be lying if I said no. I'd like to be confident enough that we're like, no, man, we just do what we want to do. Um, But yeah, we certainly want to keep that in mind. And we want to make music that hopefully we'll always make the fans happy and we'll make them smile and have a good time and also reach new audiences. But I think there is a point when as a band and as artists, you have to say like, we're going to make what we think is great. And um, sometimes, as you said, you know, there were, we probably listened to a little more Southern crunk stuff when we were writing that first album and, and we were all just obsessed with Daft Punk and all kinds of crazy 80s cartoons and and uh, a lot of dance influence when we did Dance or Die. And similarly, you know, I mean, with all the music we've made, there's always some sort of influence. But I think the litmus test is we usually try to get it like a, a three-year-old and uh, play the music and see if the three-year-old starts dancing and kind of singing along and laughing. And that if that happens, it usually means it's a good sign. So that's what, especially with a song like Wobble, we're like, all right, I think this is going to work. If the three-year-old likes it, that means everybody will, will kind of dig it. Any kid under Any five kid will do. do. <laughs> yeah, you just don't grab them off the street. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, then we'll be writing different kind of music. Jail music. Yeah, jail music. You have to start singing the blues then. <laughs> yeah.
there's no doubt that our next band can be real rabble-rousers, especially with those in the mosh pit. Here's Tobin and Brandon of Flatfoot 56, followed by their song Brotherhood. So speaking about some of your live shows, any one of those live shows in particular stand out for you guys? Yeah, we uh, played uh, this thing called Summerfest in Milwaukee, uh, Wisconsin. I think we're main support for Rise Against. And uh, there was, I think, fifteen to 17,000 people. And my wife was with us, and she's from a little place called the UP, which is uh, right above Wisconsin, but it's a part of Michigan. And it's not connected by any real landmass. It's just a bridge that goes over Lake Superior. And uh, Justin started talking about it from stage, our drummer. For some reason, this was absurd to him that, you know, some portion of of land that was not connected to the state it belonged to, I I just, it didn't make sense to him. So he, um, he got these people all riled up into this thing and, you know, by the time he was done, everyone was like, take it back, take it back, take and just 17,000 people shouting, take it back, all in a frenzy, and Justin just yells, and the rivers will run red with blood. And everyone's like, ah! And I was a little bit concerned because uh, there was a revolution on our hands. So uh, that was actually pretty funny. That was very recent, but it was pretty memorable. He was mad that Michigan got to own something that was connected to Wisconsin and should have been a part of their state. So now we find the truth out about the band that you're actually anarchists. Oh, no. Oh, no. Dream of the things that were rough, but no one better form. I guess the one who lived up 
regular listeners to the antidote are probably well aware that this is not a well-oiled machine. And we do have some troubles from time to time. Listen into a portion of a really horrible interview with Aaron Gillespie, who decided he wanted to use the microphone as a baton, and a bad start to another interview. Following that will come Hello Kelly from episode 10 way back in November of 2011. And you're going to listen in as they dump on their record label, and then you'll get a chance to hear their song Communication Breakdown. Final question. What are the future goals for Aaron Gillespie? That's simple. You know, I, I, I can rattle off a bunch of stuff that I want to see happen, but I just want to make Jesus happy, whatever the cost. That's it. Whatever he calls me to do, wherever he calls me to go, my goal is that I would listen and obey. Sean McCulloch, lead vocalist, has joined the antidote. Has <laughs> joined the antidote. Oh my goodness, I can't even say the name of my own show. No, dude, that was rad. That was rad. It's been a long day. <laughs> no, dude, that was awesome. It was a number of years between Hello Kelly releasing their first EP to doing one with an actual record label. How did that process go to find a label that would work for you guys? <laughs> um, it would be nice to believe or think that the label is working for us. We're working for them, I'd say. But anyway, there's a relationship that is a stepping stone. So what about the number of bands nowadays that they're really trying to do it all themselves? you think you guys would ever go that route? This is, we have been on that route for the past two years. So, uh, um, yeah. Um, it's all up there now. You're getting the idea yeah. Nobody's going to hear this. This is really local. So, if you're cool with that...
And that, of course, was Hello Kelly. The Lotta Lay spoke with the antidote during the really brutal July heat at a music festival in southern Illinois. And here's what transpired. Your show is absolutely masterful. I mean, a female audience member said she spent the entire concert in tears. Is that a typical crowd reaction? I don't know if that would necessarily be typical for everyone in the crowd. I mean, obviously, everyone has a different perspective and and are coming from a different place when they enter the room. Um, But I know our our ultimate goal is to kind of unify people emotionally and and spiritually and eclectically and aesthetically. And we, we really want everyone that's there from wherever they're coming from to feel what we feel when we perform music and when we put it out there and I think as a band, we we really find that as we perform, I mean, the reason we practice and the reason we try to get the songs as tight as possible is so that as we're performing, we can also be listening and connecting and be put in the same room and experience the same emotions that female audience member was experiencing. So whether it's, you know, tears or whether it's just an openness that people haven't experienced before, I, I don't know if that's typical, but that's definitely what we're aiming for. Small. A 
Punk has always been a favorite genre in the antidote, and I just love it. The Chilean band Metanoia shared about their next album and their song Pelicuero. Then the Scurvies are going to join us to speak about the status of punk and their song called Smash. The new album, really, it's quite a tremendous project you guys turned out. It's so well produced, performed, and recorded. Thank you very much. What do you want to see the album do? Good question. I think it's pretty cool, and I love it. What I expect from the album, I see the, the album like a like a starting stage for our band. I don't know how far that album is going to go because of the language. We know that punk rock is not a very popular uh, type of music here in Chile. But, well, in North America, Canada, uh, Europe, China, well, everywhere else, the, this style has, like, more... I don't know how to say it, but it's, like, it's more there. We're uh, dreaming about a second album in English. As you can see, I can speak a little bit of English, so uh, we're trying to create music in English so we can make a, an improved second production with uh, English vocals, so then our music can move everywhere you know, around the, the world. We want to spread our message, and when we sing uh, in Spanish, only Spanish-speaking people will understand what we're, what we're saying. So we're dreaming about going a little further than, than from South America, the language that's going to help us, for sure. I 
Some people think that old-school punk is a dead genre. So what's your response to that? Uh, they're dead wrong. I mean, if you want to get technical, if it's old-school punk rock, that kind of technically means that you've been around since the old school, which we haven't. But I was definitely inspired by like the first wave of punk, writing songs, you know, like the Ramones and the Clash and all that. There is a old-school punk homage, but... You know, there's also 60s and 70s, like garage rock uh, influences in our music. And as we've gotten older and, you know, band members come and go, you kind of get different influences. I mean, I've been inspired by tons of stuff. And, you know, I listen to all kinds of different genres. Um, So the idea that old school punk is dead, maybe it is. But, you know, you can never really truly kill a style because someone's always going to gravitate towards it, you know, in a future generation and put their own spin on it. And also like where you get um, the birth of new genres. Um, I don't know, like it's kind of a yes and no answer as I goes um, being like dead. Yes, maybe. But people are still discovering those old bands and kind of writing songs in the, in the same vein and putting their own twist on it. So kind of like constant rebirth in a way, I guess. Episode 42 featured the genre-stretching music of Ontario's New World Sun. Joel Parisian gave a really insightful interview about the relationship between the church and the modern faith-based music. So you're also going to be hearing their song, Son of Man, after this interview segment. With you playing such a different style of music, do you find acceptance in the Christian music market it's spotty. I think that we get love in different places. I mean, we're, we're very, very fortunate to have traveled to a lot of different countries. And, uh, and every country's got its own spin on not only just church, but music in general. 
And in the contemporary Christian world in America, there's so much music. There's so much infrastructure. And because of that, it's almost like a bubble. And people can get used to the same sound. For us, it's like certain markets get what we're doing more than others. And we don't force it. I mean, we just go wherever the love is. And what I find is that when people can see it, when they can experience it live in a church or in a theater or at a festival and they're around other believers, it's like translates a lot better because people are maybe hearing a style of music that they've never heard before in their life. can't tell you how many times we've sold CDs to people and they've come up to me and said, I've never listened to any of this kind of music before, but now I'm excited to take the CD home and make it a part of my regular listening experience. So it's kind of cool and we don't push it. We go wherever the love is and some people bring us back every year and some people have never called us again. It's just the way it goes. I don't think it's just us as a group. I, I think that um, the church as a whole is changing so drastically because because it needs to. We're, I think we're losing a lot of young people. They just kind of become disinterested in church. If the church isn't relevant, then those young people kind of walk away at, at a young age. And how many of them end up coming back? You know, for us as a band, we see that young people are finding all of this new music and really raising it up. And, and because the church is trying to be more relevant, more contemporary, all of a sudden now this wider platform has arisen for more eclectic groups. I mean, bands that are doing things that are a little more on the edge in, in Christian music. And it's great. Like, I'm being introduced to new bands every time we play a new festival. And so I think that God is kind of moving in a very unique way and using all sorts of musicians and artists and band because what we're about as believers is it's kind of subversive in a way, and the music should reflect that. The music should be rebellious. It should be on the cutting edge artistically, and I'm starting to see this new season in the church that's accepting all of this eclectic music.
Well, for latecomers tonight, the Anadona started an hour earlier at 8 o'clock instead of our typical 9, as we do a two-hour retrospective on the past 99 episodes of The Antidote, as, yeah, you guessed it, this is episode 100. So we're just doing a retrospective look at some of the artists, some of the styles of music that have played, and a lot of conversation with some of those people. Thanks for joining in, and if you're only catching the latter half, feel free to uh, enjoy. <laughs> 